Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, happy Easter, Christ Community Church. So good to see you guys, and welcome to those who are gathering at one of our five campuses. Uh, later today, outside as well, on TV. Wow, it's going to be a glorious day of proclaiming the good news about Jesus. So we're about to dig into God's word. Would you bow together with me in prayer? And we're going to ask God to teach us. Uh, God, this is your book, and your spirit is our life coach. And so we ask him to uh, help us get fresh truths out of a story we're really familiar with. Uh, open any closed hearts ears. God, I I pray for those of us who especially need a word of encouragement this Easter Sunday. God, speak that word to us today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's been the most amazing wedding celebration of all time? What do you think? You say, well, you know, it depends on what you mean by most amazing. If most amazing means most expensive, well, it would be hard to top the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton back in 2011 at a cost of $34 million for a wedding. Kate's dress alone cost over $400,000. How about that? Half a mil for a dress you wear once in your life. But if most amazing means most guests, Well, then we'd have to go with a wedding, a reception thrown by an ex-movie star in India for her son with 150,000 guests. Yeah, they built a castle for the reception. They built their own castle and a roadway that led up to it with 600 Grecian columns along the road and the road was covered with rose petals as 150,000 guests arrived. Okay, but if most amazing means most people In the bridal party, well, there was a couple in Sri Lanka a couple of years ago, and they had 126 bridesmaids. Yeah, only 25 groomsmen. Not sure how that all worked out. Okay, that would have been a long processional. Here's here's the funny part about that one. The, uh, The person who recommended that they shoot for a Guinness World Record in number of bridesmaids happened to be the woman who designed the dresses. Yeah, yeah. But if most amazing wedding of all time, if it means most, uh, most couples getting married, brides and, and grooms, well, that happens every year in Brazil. They have what they call Yes Day. And Yes Day is a day on which you can have the government pay for your wedding if you make less than $10,000 a year. And so they, they hire out a huge arena, sports arena in Rio. And every year they got about 1,000 couples exchanging vows and rings at the same time. The most amazing wedding celebrations. But I want to tell you about an amazing wedding celebration that makes all others pale in comparison and it's still in the future and it's described for us in the Bible's Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 25 so if you brought one of these with you I want you to turn with me in your Bible you'll find it about the middle of the Bible book of Isaiah chapter 25 let me give you some historical context for the passage we're about to look at Okay, of all the prophets who wrote Old Testament books, Isaiah is considered to be the greatest. 
I mean, he had a ministry career that spanned 60 years at a very strategic time in the history of ancient Israel. Isaiah was living in the city, the capital city of Jerusalem at the time, and he began warning the surrounding population that the judgment of God was coming. The judgment of God because of their flagrant wickedness, because of their worship of false gods, because of their sexual immorality, because of their selfish materialism, because of their disregard for the poor, the judgment of God is coming. And it came. You know, it came in 586 BC when Babylon, the superpower of the day, invaded Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and carried off many of its leading citizens into captivity. But Isaiah's prophecy wasn't all doom and gloom. Isaiah also predicted that one day Israel's captors would allow people to return to their homeland and their country would be rebuilt, including the glorious temple where they worshiped God. And this return from exile, Isaiah said, would point to a still future day. It would symbolize a day in the distant future when God would set up his eternal kingdom, his new heaven and new earth over which he would reign forever and ever. And Isaiah describes this eternal kingdom with the imagery of a banquet, Now, Isaiah doesn't call it a wedding banquet, but that's exactly how it's described in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation describes the time when God will bring this world to an end, and then every person who has ever lived will stand in judgment before Almighty God, and those who make it through the judgment will then be welcomed into God's eternal kingdom, which begins with a wedding banquet for God's Son, Jesus Christ which is why I'm calling this banquet today the Feast of King Jesus. The Feast of King Jesus. And that's what's described in Isaiah 25. Now you say, well, what does this have to do with Easter? Because we're gathered today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And simply put, the connection is this. There would be no future Feast of King Jesus if the king had stayed dead. Okay, if Jesus died on the cross and stayed dead, then there's no wedding banquet for him at the end of time. And not only that, there's no future wedding banquet, no eternal kingdom for potential guests like you and me, because we too will die and stay dead. Fortunately for us, Jesus did rise from the dead that first Easter and his his resurrection guarantees a future wedding banquet, guarantees the feast of King Jesus. Are you going to be there? You know, am I going to be there? Let's find out as we take a look at the feast as it's described in Isaiah 25. There are three aspects of this feast that we're going to take a look at in this passage. And the first has to do with the banquet itself. So if your Bible's open to Isaiah 25, let me begin reading. I'm going to read just the first verse of today's text, verse 6. Isaiah says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, Isaiah's writing some Beautiful Hebrew poetry here. 
It's important that you understand Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. So if you're looking for a rhyme, it's not here. But, but poetry is rich in imagery. Hebrew poetry paints pictures with words. And the picture being painted here is a picture of God's eternal kingdom. And it's pictured as a banquet, a banquet of great food and drink. In fact, look at the adjectives that Isaiah uses here. Rich food, aged wine, best of meats, finest of wines. So in ancient cultures, and pretty much in our culture still today, food, feasting, was associated with two things. First, celebrations. Now you just stop and think about it. Every time you have a celebration, whether it's a birthday party, a graduation party, a quinceanera, a a neighborhood block party, a Super Bowl party, isn't food often part, in fact, always part of the celebration, right? What's a celebration without food? Uh, My sister and her husband, they celebrate their wedding anniversary every year and they throw a little party and Sue and I always go, partly because I love my sister, but mostly because I know they're going to serve Lou Malnati's pizza, butter crust, and red velvet cake with cream cheese frosting. I'm going to be there, okay? So just something about food that says celebration, Now, what is it that's being celebrated in Isaiah 25? Well, we learn from the rest of Scripture what's being celebrated is King Jesus. This is his coronation day. He's going to be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and reign forever and ever. It also happens to be his wedding day. You say, oh, who's the lucky bride? We'll get back to that in just a few moments. So feasting says celebration. It also says, secondly, relationships. You know, when you want to catch up with a good friend, don't you often say something like, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee together. Or, I, you know, how about we do lunch next week? Or we get together as couples, we go out someplace for dinner. See, relationships just seem to thrive in the context of food. Uh, this past fall, you've heard me tell the story before, this past fall, Sue and I were getting sick and tired of isolation Uh, On our block, we got lots of wonderful friends, and we hadn't seen them all. We're all socially distancing and in quarantine. So we called on a friend of ours, a street vendor, food vendor, uh, Fernando's Street Kitchen, best tacos in the world. And Freddie's a friend of mine. We said, hey, could you set up your grill uh, on the end of our driveway? And he came with his team, and we invited all our neighbors to come, and we were masked and socially distanced. But what a ball we had. Relationally, we needed that time together. Food just seems to go with relationships. So when you, you want to spend time with a good friend, you often do it over food. Now, the gospel biographies of Jesus' life in the New Testament say the same thing. We frequently find Jesus eating a meal with people he's befriended, whether that's wicked tax collectors or self-righteous Pharisees or his 12 closest buds or even a, a, a crowd of thousands of people whom he feeds with a little boy's lunch. And, and listen to how Jesus describes his desire for a close relationship with you and me by using the imagery of a meal. Revelation 3 verse 20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, so he's knocking at the door of your heart. He's knocking at the door of your life. And he goes on to say, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, now listen, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus wants a a relationship with you. 
He describes it in the form of a meal. And then at the end of time, in God's eternal kingdom, Jesus wants you at his forever feast. More about that in a few minutes. Let's go back to Isaiah 25. We're we're looking at a scripture text that describes God's eternal kingdom with the colorful imagery of a banquet. That's our first point, the banquet. Now, this eternal kingdom is elsewhere described in the Bible as a new heaven, a new earth, and it's made possible by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is what Easter is all about. This is what we're celebrating today. Easter points to this new heaven and new earth. Now, the next few verses in Isaiah 25 that we're about to read, they tell us about some incredible blessings That's our second point, some blessings that will mark God's eternal kingdom. So we're going to pick up the text at verse 7. Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death. This is the first of three blessings that will mark God's eternal kingdom. Blessings that will be celebrated at the feast of King Jesus. No more death. Now this has been a year when we've been reminded of death every time we turn on the news. We get the latest death toll from COVID. Hundreds of thousands of people in our country have died this year because of COVID. Yet we need to keep in mind You know, that though COVID has accelerated the pace of some people's death, it has not changed the overall death rate at all. Okay, the death rate remains the same, friends. 100% of people die. 100% of people die. And so this past year, while thousands have died because of COVID, in the United States, almost 3 million people have died overall. So death is relentless. So how does God put an end to it? Here's the Bible's message in a nutshell. Okay, the ultimate reason that people die, now listen, the ultimate reason that people die is because they disconnect from God who's the giver of life. That's it. The Bible tells us that God gives us a choice. He says that we could love him supremely and follow him wholeheartedly, or we can choose to love other things as more important in our lives and marginalize God and do our own thing, follow our own path, go our own way. And the Bible says that without exception, every one of us chooses that latter course. We go our own way. We disconnect from God, the giver of life. And the symptoms are obvious in our lives. We see anger. We see lust. We see selfishness. We see bigotry, we see addictions, we see grudges and bitterness. I mean, the list goes on and on. And the ultimate consequence is death. When you disconnect from the giver of life, the consequence is death. It begins a spiritual death on the inside, a broken relationship with God. And that leads to physical death at the end of this life. And that becomes eternal death in the world to come. Separation from God for all eternity. But God loves us so much that he chose to save us from this fate of death. He sent his son Jesus to planet earth. And after living a perfect life, Jesus laid down his life on the cross. Good Friday. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And so Jesus took the death that we deserve to die. 
But Jesus didn't stay dead. He burst out of the grave on Easter morning. Happy Easter. And Jesus now lives offering forgiveness and new life to anyone who surrenders to him. And this new life that Jesus gives will continue on into eternity. So those who surrender their lives to Jesus will experience physical death merely as the doorway into eternal life. As the entrance to the feast of King Jesus. No more death. Let let, let me read it to you again from verse 7 of Isaiah 25. He says, on this mountain, and and I need to stop there for just a minute, on this, what mountain is he talking about? Well, he's referring to Mount Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. Now, this is written 700 years before Jesus, and he says, on this, in this place, he will swallow up death forever. This is the location where Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. He will swallow up death forever. This is what Easter is all about. Now here's a second blessing that marks God's eternal kingdom. No more tears. No more tears. Look at the middle of verse 8. It says the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. What makes people cry? Why have you cried in the last day or, or, or week? And maybe it's only been tears on the inside. Could be a chronic illness. Might be a mountain of debt you're facing. Could be loneliness. Maybe a broken marriage. Perhaps you've said a long goodbye. Maybe you've shed tears over a miscarriage or injustice or war or wayward kids or shattered dreams. I mean, you think about the last time you cried or, or you should have cried. Whatever was behind it, that cause is going to be non-existent in God's eternal kingdom. No more tears. And third blessing, no more disgrace. And I go back to verse 8 one last time and look at the last part of the verse. It says, the Lord will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the Lord has spoken. Now, when Isaiah penned these words, he had a particular disgrace in mind. I told you earlier that Isaiah was facing the people down because of their wickedness, saying the judgment of God is coming because of the flagrant disobedience of your lives. And it eventually came in the form of Babylonian invasion and captivity. And in those days, if you were taken captive, you were stripped naked, chained to others, and then marched out of town, a parade for all to see, a disgrace, a humiliation. Now, my guess is that none of us will ever experience anything quite like that in this life. But, but let's face it, every one of us knows the experience of embarrassment because of some wrongdoing that has come to light. Has that ever happened to you? You know, I can think of a time that it, it happened to me just recently. You know, I, w- I was having one of those days when my phone was dropping calls. You ever have one of those? And so I'm driving in my car and I've, I'm on an important call with my administrative assistant who's giving me an update on some important matters. And all of a sudden the call gets dropped. Well, I let loose with some colorful expressions. I mean, I cussed out Siri. Who else are you going to cuss out in a situation like that, right? And then I discovered the call had not been dropped. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Jim got busted. And I'm not sure how much my administrative assistant 
heard, but I had to apologize right there on the spot. Now, that's kind of a, a mild example of the disgrace we all experience when our moral failures come to light, when our gossip ends up destroying a relationship. You know, when our drinking results in a DUI, when our marriage troubles escalate into divorce, when a porn addiction is discovered, when credit card spending becomes a mountain of debt that buries us, when our fooling around leads to an unwanted pregnancy, when our neglect to study means we failed the class, when our angry driving results in an automobile accident, when our nagged kids finally decide they've had enough and don't want to hang out with us anymore. Embarrassment. Isaiah says in God's eternal kingdom, the, the moral failures that so commonly cause embarrassment, humiliation, disgrace will be no more. And you can get a taste of that in this life when you surrender your life to Jesus because he wipes your slate clean. He gives you a fresh start. 1 John 1 verse 9 says that if we'll confess our, our sins, he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So no more death, no more tears, no more disgrace. King Jesus will put an end to all that. And I love the strong verbs that Isaiah uses here to describe Jesus' actions. He says he will swallow up death. He will wipe away tears. He will remove disgrace. Would you like to live forever in a kingdom like that? Well, in a few minutes, I'm going to explain to you how you can know that you'll be welcomed with open arms at the Feast of King Jesus. Well, so far in this Easter sermon from Isaiah 25, we've learned that God's eternal kingdom is described as a future banquet, a, a feast of food and drink. King Jesus will be celebrated and a relationship with him will be enjoyed forever and ever. The banquet, that was our first point. And then we learned about, number two, some of the blessings of this eternal kingdom. The blessings of no more death, no more tears, no more disgrace. The blessings made possible by Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, which we're celebrating this Easter weekend. And now we're ready to talk about who gets to be part of God's eternal kingdom. Now, sometimes the Bible refers to these people as the guests at the wedding banquet. Other times, the Bible switches metaphors and describes this group of people collectively as the bride, the bride of Christ. So we'll put that one on hold for just a moment. Let me address the first metaphor, guests. Okay, guests are pretty important at most weddings. My, my son and daughter-in-law are wedding photographers, and they're really, really good. Uh, but last March, the bottom went out of their, of their business because of COVID and people were canceling and postponing weddings. And at first I'm thinking, well, why do you need to do that? You still got a bride and groom. Most cases you got a pastor or a priest who will do the ceremony. And, you know, even with only 10 people allowed in the room at a time back then, you could still have a, you know, a modest wedding party. But what you couldn't have would be guests. And most people wanted a crowd, a crowd of their friends to come. Now, go back to Isaiah 25 with me one last time. We're picking it up at verse 9 where Isaiah identifies who the guests are at the feast of King Jesus in God's eternal kingdom. 
Verse 9 says, in that day they, he's referring to the guests, the people who will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So according to God's word, the guests who show up at the feast of King Jesus in God's eternal kingdom are the people who can say with 100% confidence, he's our God. I mean, we trusted in him and we know that he saved us. We're talking about the people who have personally made the decision in this life to completely surrender their lives to Christ. Is that you? Have you put your whole trust in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him as king? Interesting note here. You know, in the opening verse of today's passage, go back to verse 6. We're told that the Lord Almighty will, will prepare a feast of rich food. Now listen, for all peoples. For all peoples. So everyone is invited to the banquet. But not everybody accepts the invitation. In fact, when Jesus told one of his famous short stories, a parable about the banquet, okay, about a king who throws a banquet for his son, the crown prince, who one day will be king. He sends out invitations far and wide, and most of the invitations are rejected. People find excuses not to come. But those who say yes to the invitation are welcomed at the wedding banquet of the king's son. Those who surrender their lives to Jesus are welcomed at the feast of King Jesus, God's eternal kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And it gets better than that. You're, you're not just a guest. You are the bride of Christ at this wedding celebration. Why that metaphor? Well, just like a groom really loves his bride, God's word is communicating to us that if you've surrendered your life to Christ, he loves you. And he's made a vow to love you for all eternity, just like a groom says to his bride, here are the vows of my commitment to you. Have you ever surrendered to King Jesus? Have you ever asked him to be the savior who wipes away your sin, cleans your slate? Have you ever started a new life of following him? I, I wanna lead you in a prayer. Right now, this is a prayer that we pray many times over the course of a year at Christ Community Church and see hundreds of people make that first time decision to surrender their lives to Jesus. That's what we're going to do right now. So I'm going to ask you if you're watching at one of our campuses or you're watching online right now, would you bow together with me in prayer? We're going to pray the surrender prayer and it has three really important words in it. And I'm going to ask you to pray this from your heart. And I'll kind of coach you through the prayer, all right? The first important word is the word sorry. That's where it begins, where you recognize, yep, I've been going my way instead of God's way. I've disconnected from the giver of life. God's asked me to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I've loved other things more importantly than God. So right now in your heart, if you're going to make things right with God, if Jesus is going to become your king, you need to start by saying sorry for the path you've taken up to this point. Can you do that from your heart? I'll give you just a moment of quiet to speak those words to Christ.
The second important word in the surrender prayer is the word thanks. If you didn't understand it before, you heard it explained in today's message that the reason Jesus came to planet Earth was not simply to be a good example or teach us how to love. He came to die. He came to give his life on the cross because the penalty for our sins was death, and Jesus took the death we deserve to die. He died for you, but now you need to personalize it. It's not just for the world he died. He died for you. Have you ever told him thanks? Thanks for offering your life for me. Thanks for dying on the cross because of my sinful waywardness. Tell him from your heart right now. He's got to hear it from your lips. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for becoming my savior. There's a third important word in the surrender prayer. We've prayed sorry, we've prayed thanks, and the third word is please. This is is where real surrender takes place, where you say, please come into my life as my king. Please, I'm going to step off the throne of my life. I'm going to stop running running my life now, and I'm going to discover what it means to follow your word. I I, want to get up. Become part of a group like Christ Community where people are, are moving in that same Godward direction. Please become the leader of my life right now. Can you tell him that? Please, Jesus, come in as king. I want to follow you. God, you have heard our prayers and you know the sincerity of our hearts. And I pray that those who've truly truly surrendered to you in this moment, would sense that you've come to live on the inside by your spirit, that you're going to make them new people from the inside out, that following Jesus is going to change their lives forever in this world and in the world to come. Give them that confidence, God, as they walk away from this Easter service today. And for those of us who've made that decision in the past, some of us have wandered from the path, and Easter is a good day to come back. And so I just pray that you would flood us with a sense of your amnesty, your, your, your welcome. I pray that we would step back into your arms, determine that with your help we're going to follow you. And God, give us the joy of knowing that we're headed to a kingdom of no more death, no more tears, no more disgrace. May that change the way that we live today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that surrender prayer and you're thinking, you know, I think that's the first time I ever did something like that. You know, that's the first step in a walk with God. We want to help you make that step a a daily walk. And so we put together some materials that will help you do that. What does it mean to walk with Jesus? Well, we just want to jumpstart you, come alongside of you, help you get going. So we put together some materials. We call it our next steps packet. And at the back of the zone that you're sitting in right now, there are various zones around the auditorium in St. Charles. At the back of every zone, there's a table. And on the table, there are physical next steps packets. So just pick one up on the way out. If you pray that surrender prayer for the first time, okay, it's got a Bible, it's got some other materials in it that will help you grow now in a relationship with Christ. If you'd rather have it in an in electronic form, you could go online. So when you get home, go to ccclife.org, our website, slash next steps, and you can find the same materials there. We just want to get you going, okay, in this relationship with Jesus that you've begun today. 
And I also want to say on that website, you have an opportunity if you want to give us contact information, or we're not going to badger you if you do. We just, you know, if there's anything we can do to help you, if we can answer your questions, uh, if we could pray with you, uh, just let us know by leaving the contact information. And you don't need to, to leave it if you'd rather not, but it's there for you if you desire it. We're going to close our Easter service with one last song of praise to King Jesus. So would you stand together and let's sing from our hearts.